Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Team Human is an ad-free, listener-supported project made possible by teammates like Richard, Matthew Cannon, Summer Taco, Thomas Kaufman, Zhang Wu, and Cameron Senum, and hopefully you. Just go to teamhuman.fm and click on support to find the others who gain access to our Discord channel, my paywalled medium posts, archives of my collected work and conversations with luminaries like Timothy Leary and Terence McKenna, and now the ability to participate in shows like this one. You're on Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine. A chance to think differently, break mental boundaries, cross social chasms, and delight in how wobbly that makes everything feel. Let's challenge our underlying assumptions together, where it's not nearly as scary. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, it's Team Human. Our first session together in the Kibitz Room, a conversational work in progress that's starting today in the form of a call-in radio show and may go anywhere from here. It's time to intervene on our own behalf. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. We're trying something new today, our first Team Human call-in show. I used to do this all the time back when I was hosting the Media Squad on WFMU. Live call-in from people driving home from work or making dinner, and it led to some really fun conversations. So for our first stab at this, and as a premium for our supporting teammates, we held our first session in what we're calling the Kibitz Room on the Team Human Discord server. If people like it, we may try to do it as a live stream as well. So here it goes. 
shows, Team Human recorded live in the kibitz room deep inside the Team Human Virtual Apocalypse Bunker, July 2022. So, hey, everybody, welcome to our first Team Human Live call-in show from the Kibitz Room, deep inside the Team Human Apocalypse Bunker on Discord, which is open to uh, all of our uh, uh, contributing Team Human members, and uh, we have ways for for non-contributing Team Human members to participate by, I guess, asking questions by uh, email at team at teamhuman.fm or uh, or tweeting, tweeting and put the little at sign Team Human Show, and we'll try to get to to some of those questions as well. But obviously, our our live in-person kibitzers are going to be prioritized here. Um, as we uh, embark on this new new adventure, you know, it's funny. I was reading a lot about call-in radio and talking with Brian Lair, who does this great call-in show on WNYC. And their advice is you start with like a specific issue, like you do a news story. So then you've got a, a specific call out, like a, 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 it's like a call to action. So it's like, so, you know, how do you feel about the new law in the subway that you're not allowed to bring, you know, animals larger than two pounds? You know, do you have an animal larger than two pounds? What do you think? Um, and I get that, but I want to try the opposite, which is, Anything goes, uh, especially at a time like this when uh, there are so many different um, facets of change and so many different uh, styles of obstacle and challenge um, that I welcome ideas and questions and insights from across the spectrum. And then we'll take it on as my challenge at the end to kind of pull it together somehow and to see if I can uh, uh, unearth a common theme or thread as if in this moment of Kairos between us all, there there are many things going on, but they're all actually just this one thing that's really going on. So that's my uh, that's where my head's going to be at, is trying to figure out how to... Uh, 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 how to describe the pulse of this moment that we're about to experience together. So Josh is going to, is going to co-host with me here to help orchestrate the, the questions and answers and different coming from different places and people. Um, so Josh, what's the, what's the best way to, to corral this? I guess we can alternate, you know, do, do two or three live questions and then you can pull one out of the mailbag and things like that. We'll start with one that we received today from Patreon. Bethany from Lancaster, Pennsylvania asks, are you familiar with Jaron Lanier's ideas of alternate business models from social media and web browsing that eschew behavior modification? For example, using subscription models or micropayments, as well as compensating users for their data. How likely do you think companies like Google or Facebook would be to adopt those changes? Yeah, I, I've thought about it a lot. I mean, they... they the solutions you're talking about came up first in his book, You Are Not a Gadget. I take the opposite approach. What he's describing to me are different ways of acknowledging 
the value being created or extracted by these platforms and compensating people for it. So so there's all these different things you do online, ways that you move around from one site to another site and or or all these different things you do that are valuable data to people who want to understand and ultimately manipulate your behavior. Uh, and, and, and we all know how that works, uh, right? They have cookies that kind of follow you around and all that. Um, as I look forward and think about a world in which this kind of information gathering won't just be happening you know, online as we scroll, but increasingly in real life as we move from place to place with various RFIDs and wristlets and cell phones and different things on us, or as we move through a reality that's increasingly layered with augmented reality uh, uh, analysis and data, uh, you know, some of it helpful, some of it obfuscating, right? If you're in a augmented reality map of the world and you're using it on your glasses as your overlay and you're looking for a restaurant, you know, the restaurants that aren't paying to be on the AR map that you're using won't show up. They'll just kind of look like flat buildings. They won't have uh, flashing AR signs to draw you in. Um, you know, th that concern aside, um, I, I understand the idea of compensating people for the data and getting more and more of this on the books and how the blockchain can can help uh, uh, administrate that. But when, when I think about the future, I want to get more and more human behavior off the books. I want people doing more and more kind of favors for each other that are not calculated, that don't um, even they don't even have necessarily a let's system currency, just going plus or minus. That when you're in community, you just do things, and it's part of of the the social agreement, the social arrangement of people. So on the one hand, you can look at what Jaron's saying as the the realization of Marx's idea of how an economy should work, of how socialism should work. You know, Marx talked about uh, Robinson Crusoe and Robinson Crusoe alone on the island. It's fictional, but the idea is that he wrote everything down. He had a an exact diary of all the work he was doing and how long it took to do certain things. And he kept a ledger of all of his work so that he would could administrate. And what Marx thought was, wouldn't it be cool if we had a ledger like that for all the different work that we need to be done so that everyone can contribute and do that? But that's not a way to return to what Marx was really longing for, which was a social economy where one person uh, uh, makes the tortillas, someone else uh, picks the vegetables and someone else, you know, slaughters the goat and you bring all these things together and people have burritos together and they're in, they're dependent on each other and nobody is saying, oh, well, my goat slaughtering was harder to do than your tortilla rolling. It's just, you know, to, 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 to each person works as, as, as they can and gets, you know, what, what, what they need. It's a, a simpler system. So when I think about the datafication of all this stuff, it's it's wonderful in a way, and because of VR, we could track everything. But I mean, the example I've, I've used before is like if if 
if a mattress company finds, you know, finds it valuable to know what side of the bed I'm getting out of on in the morning and is willing to pay me a couple of cents to track which side of the bed I get out of, um, sure, I let them do it. But then I'll start to find out, well, if if I start to alternate what side of the bed I get out of, then it's going to be more valuable than if I just get out on the same side every day, right? If they just know I always get out on the left side, they're going to get tired of my data. It's not interesting. But now, if I start alternating, they're going to want to figure out, well, why is he going left today and right on Wednesday and then left, left on Friday, Saturday? <laughs> so I'm going to start altering my behaviors in order to maximize the novelty of the data and the value of the data for all the companies that are tracking it. So the more things we put on the books, the more things we incentivize with cash, the more off course we get as human beings. That's how to say this. There's there's intrinsic rewards for things and extrinsic rewards for things. You use extrinsic rewards in order to get people to do things they don't actually want to do, right? That's why you have to pay them. It's compensation. I don't want to increase the amount of compensation and extrinsic reward in our society. I want to increase the or decrease the need for compensation and increase the the wealth of intrinsic reward. So having people do more and more things for their own sake. And that's uh, that's where I would push things. So in my visions of the digital future would look much more like a cashless kind of Star Trek future than the uh uh ultimate blockchain of individual transactions. And it looks like we have the first person coming to the stage. If you could say your name, where in the world you're calling from, followed by your question. Vivian, I'm from Topeka, Kansas. Hey. Uh, so question is, uh, you mentioned uh, Technopoly a lot and talk about Neil Postman. I was, so my question is like, how much do you agree or disagree with um, his kind of overall thesis of what he was uh, trying to get at in that book, technically. Oh, Postman got it. I mean, early on, I mean, the one of the very first times I was ever kind of recognized as something other than a weird cyberpunk stoned writer kid was by the uh, Media Ecology Association when they did this conference at Lincoln Center on the 100th anniversary of Marshall McLuhan. And they invited me to this thing because I had written Media Virus, which they liked because it was, uh, and I didn't realize at the time, but that's a media ecological understanding of the world, right? I was arguing that the, that the media ecology had changed and these new, these new things, these new viruses were going to move around and populate and change the way information spread. So they invited me to this thing, and I knew a little bit about Neil Postman, and mainly as a naysayer of new technology. So here I was the kid, and this is, you know, 1995 or something, and I'm still, uh, I still think we can beat Wired and those guys and claim the internet for the, the counterculture. You know, so I'm still uh, pretty optimistic. And they put me on this uh, discussion debate thing with Neil Postman, where he was like the anti-interactive person and I was the pro. And that really set me up to not like him at first. And, you know, he was at the time, of course, he was more articulate than I was. And I remember talking about, you know, Beavis and Butthead being the Shakespeare of our time and all. And then I remember him saying, uh, uh, just because Shakespeare served as the Beavis and Butthead of his time doesn't mean Beavis and Butthead serves as the Shakespeare of ours. And it was, 
<laughs> it was great, you know, because I had argued that the groundlings were there and people understood it. And, you know, it was pop entertainment in addition to being high art. And uh, so that was that was good. Um, and, you know, and he he said things that I didn't quite get at the time. Like he was talking about like the electric windows in cars. And he's like, why do we have electric windows in cars? What problem do they solve? You know, how is it better to have an electric window than not? And actually, they're, in some ways, they're not, because if, you know, you go underwater or something, you can't get your windows open. Who knows? But uh, I, I thought he was just curmudgeonly. Um, and the, the, the thing that concerned me about him and Baudrillard even, you know, where they were so, seemed so concerned that we were moving into this illusory uh, uh, advertising-driven universe and we were all going to be helpless and, uh, uh, you know, helpless to deconstruct the images, I thought, now that we have computers, now that we have the computer mouse instead of just the remote control, now we could deconstruct the content of television. Now we could de demystify the technologies through which TV was coming to us because we had programming, you know, and the, the TV monitor had been torn, turned into a portal where we're going to express ourselves. But what, what he did in Technopoly that I didn't quite understand at the time was he traced the sort of the three-stage evolution of different technologies as they come into our, our, our society. So he would say something like, you know, the, the, you know, the, the automobile it starts as a tool to help people move faster. It becomes something that we need to change, we need to adapt to, we need to now change our environment in order to support the automobile, right? So, you know, we had to teach pedestrians how not to cross the street and create uh, publicity campaigns where we call them jaywalkers. People who get hit are getting hit because they're jaywalkers and they're stupid, not because they're human beings who don't deserve to be to be hit. Or um, we need to go to war to fight uh, uh, for oil to supply these vehicles um, until you get to the third stage where it's so embedded you don't even know it's a technology. Now, our society is, is built around the needs of the technology. And uh, it turns out that that, that that is true and that, that my work and his are, are very tied. Only uh, my, I see my job, and maybe it was partly what he saw too, I see my job as to denaturalize these things that we've accepted and embedded and forgotten are human inventions. And that could be anything like the automobile or the computer or the internet or the smartphone or, 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 or money or, you know, religion or government or the nation state, that all of these things are, uh, if not technologies, they're, they're inventions. And we, we need to, to look at them all the way McLuhan did or the way Postman did or the way that Neil Borstein did, who said that these are, uh, who understood that they create their own reality and then we mistake that for reality reality when when they're not they are they are inventions at a particular moment in history to serve some need that we may or may not know and if we lose the ability to see them as fungible you know <laughs> to use a, a, a word from the new vocabulary if we forget that everything is fungible um, that's when uh, that's when we get in trouble so no I see postman as uh, uh, one of the the if not the most important um, influence on me and continually you know when I start getting into looking at Judaism and spirituality is the only real 
uh, weapon we have against uh, you know the technocracy and the market. Um, you look at at Postman, and again, you know, you look at interviews. He goes up. Oh, religion's the only thing. Religion is our last hope. So um, I keep um, finding things from him, and maybe I resonate with him a little bit more than with McLuhan because. Um, Postman is a you know a more of a text-based Jewish sensibility than McLuhan's more sort of Catholic iconic sensibility. So uh, we, we, we're slightly uh, uh, slightly more simpatico, and I and I knew the guy, so I had the the face-to-face contact that Levinas, the the philosopher, would say is is essential for you know the real human for that human-to-human space to open up. And I've never been face-to-face with McLuhan, so. Um, yeah, but but now I would say I'm uh, I'd put him you know at, at number one or two in my pantheon. It's like Postman and Robert Anton Wilson are probably the the greatest influences on me. Thank you so much for the question, Viv. If you leave the stage, I'm going to invite Jeff up to the stage. Jeff, the floor is yours. It's Jeff Gallinger from the Bay Area, uh, you know the Silicon Valley that that is evil. Uh, and partly and and maybe this is like sort of influencing my question because speaking of McLuhan um you've talked a lot about how the binary code that sort of underwrites society is uh creating the message of othering in like a medium is the message kind of way Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm curious about the implications you think the medium of these like social media feeds that are populated by algorithms that use democracy, which is driven by attention and engage- engagement, to generate like curated bubbles for demographic archetypes that um, that like become basically filter bubbles. And I, I'm curious what you think the message is for society. Um, and not to bias you with my answer, but it feels like it leads to another thing that you talk about a lot, which is anarcho-syndicalism, um, because it's like it's small groups based on shared identity and values in these filter bubbles. It's democracy in terms of number of likes determines leaders and influencers, and it's participation driven by ostensibly authentic self-expression in that anyone can make content, and it's often autobiographical um so hopefully that wasn't too long-winded but that's no the one thing i would add to the analysis is that the bias of algorithms is to use whatever works to create those affinity groups and whatever works in the short term is usually terror so we end up, yes, we end up with these affinity groups that you're talking about, but they tend to be fear-based affinity groups that are more likely to other the other groups than they are um, joy or common value or positive vision-based affinity groups that want to share and exchange values with the other affinity groups. So you get anarcho in some ways, but you don't get the syndicalism because who's going to want to syndicate with them, right? Because <laughs> they, they believe the other thing. Um, so so the, the bias, I guess, is, is toward 
is not just towards the the separation of groups, which is a fine thing, right? You, you're going to have different towns and communities and and groups. I'm I'm all for clusters, but it's that the fabric of the clusters is tends to be a. Uh, 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 a, a negative and a self-reinforcing fear-hate kind rather than a love kind. Now, you could go read a guy like Howard Bloom, his book Lucifer Principle, and he would say, if he were here right now, Doug, you're so naive. All groups are based on that fear and terror. And it goes all the way back to the yellow sponges and the red sponges. You know, they would fight each other and, and band against each other and all. And, um, and, and, and I think you can certainly cherry pick from nature um, uh, clubs of organisms that fight against other clubs of organisms. You can also cherry pick clubs of organisms that cooperate, you know, with, with other organisms. So I don't believe it's inevitable that the kinds of groups that we see uh, forming need to be negative. But um, when you're, when these are algorithms that are designed not really to create, um, they're not program to create groups of people who construct futures together. They're used to um, magnify engagement by any means necessary. And we know the way to magnify engagement is the sky is falling. They're going to kill you, you know? That, and, and so that ends up being the bias. It's the short term, really. It's the short term uh, uh, efficiency of these algorithms to promote engagement and to cluster people um, as as quickly and distinctly as possible that leads to these uh, sort of more extreme and antagonistic styles of uh, of affinity. Great. Thanks so much, Jeff. And it looks like we have our next question coming. If you could say your name, where you're from, followed by your question. Yeah, uh, Daniel Weddle. I'm uh, from Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, I've been trying to figure out how to like center this in my head, but I'm, I'm just trying to keep it short. Um, Doug, I'm curious your, your thoughts on kind of emergent technologies, Web3, uh, DAOs, crypto technologies, all, all of these things taken as like a, a way to do decentralized governance or cooperative governance. Um, do you have any thoughts? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What's on, on that? I do. And first, hey, um, I admire the enthusiasm and goodwill of much of the DAO community who are not doing it 
for rug pulls, but are doing it because they believe that the only way to combat the uh, tremendous constructed gods of capitalism is to construct a uh, a kind of a virtual golem of our own in the form of of blockchains and DAOs, these other beings that can fight those beings, that it's the only way to to break the systemic structural hold of these tremendous institutions over our civilization. Um, but um, I, I don't believe that the DAO is conducive to, uh, to human solidarity on a fundamental level. You know, back to, to Levinas, I think it all starts with the one human facing another human. It's the face-to-face contact between human beings that forges the, the rapport and solidarity required for human beings to collectively um, retake society from the abstracted formulations that we've mistaken for nature. You know, whether they're, you know, the capitalism or the technocracy or the Great Reset or Game B or all these wonderful things or, you know, the Ethereum and blockchain and the DAO and all that. So my concern is that when we um, try to forge relationships through text and commands and DAO logic, um, we still leave out the, the, the human factor that could sustainably differentiate these movements from all the ones that failed um, in the past. Um, I realize DAOs allow people to do certain things non-locally that they couldn't do, and for a soft, an international software collective that needs to keep track of things and 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 verify identity in particular ways, sure, that's a great thing for an international network of investigative journalists who need to maintain uh, 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 identifiability without um, being identified, right? They need to be able to verify without identification. Yeah, there's some great role, great roles for DAOs, but as a a substitute for real world community or for uh, cottage industry, um, I don't I don't see it. You know, I. I I don't even really see the need for uh, trust-proof ledger systems amongst people who are working together because if you don't even trust each other enough to have an accountant administrate your books for you and keep track of who did what, if it, you know that if everybody needs to see everything about everything in order to even have faith that this is not a corrupt system, then we're starting off in such a nasty place that um, that I, I that that I don't I'm just not a, I'm not attracted to it as a solution for most of the things you know and 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 I'm being asked a lot these days I should I should do a um, 
a monologue or a piece about this. And I'm being asked by a lot of these Web3 companies, the ones who can't get like Neil Stevenson or, or William Gibson or, or some like Grant Morrison, they come to me next uh, to develop some sort of, you know, narrative logic for their Web3 worlds, right? So they want to build a world that's got, you know, concert spaces and people can go to different concerts and different raves and all, but then what holds the whole world together? Can you create a meta narrative or uh, we want to make uh, movies that then have Web3 spinoffs, what could people do in those worlds and all that. And the, the one thing I can keep, I, I keep thinking could work in those sorts of spaces would be to give people credit for fan fiction in a way, in a different way. So now, you know, you have people on different uh, uh, fan fiction boards writing new material about Harry Potter or Star Trek or Star Wars and they're never really compensated for it and most of the the IP owners don't really let anybody create or retain value because they say this is our IP and it's copywritten you're not allowed to do anything and I was thinking it could be fun to create um, TV shows like a, a, a Squid Game or a Game of Thrones or something where you get an NFT of a character and you don't know what it's going to be it's like a pack of baseball cards. You could get Jon Snow or you could get, you know, third White Walker from the left. And you don't know what it's going to be. But then you get to see your character maybe in the movie and zoom in on a CGI of, of whatever giant scene has all the characters in a war or the Coliseum. But then after the movie, you go into a Web3 world where you get to play as your character and you can enact fan fiction that way. And if your character starts doing scenes and has stuff that's so original that the creators say, hey, that's a great scene for the movie, they put it in the next installment of the movie or they put it in the TV series and they don't pay you for it because now your NFT character has gone up in value. You've gone from a bit player in the background to now a small character with a scene. So now you have uh, something of higher value and you've made it of higher value through your creative input and in a way that doesn't um, you know, challenge the IP or whatever it is. So I'm trying to think of things like that, thinking of NFTs and DAO and those spaces as a way of rewarding what we would normally consider amateur work, which is what the internet was way back when. You know, I never thought, I never wanted to have a blog because I had published a book. I had a column in the New York Times Syndicate and it felt improper, inappropriate for me to do a blog when there's so many people who need to be heard. Why would I crowd that space when I have a platform? And I kind of, uh, I still feel that way in a large way. I still feel guilty to do a podcast in a world where uh, I could maybe get a radio show or I have books, I have platforms, but it's like that, all that line between professional amateurs kind of disappeared now. So uh, I, I'm here and I blog and I go on Medium and I do all those things. But I feel like in the DAO space, there's a way to start rewarding people. Again, it's a it's, it's a little bit like what Jaron Lanier was talking about. To to go back to that, it's 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 in a way a nod to that. How do you acknowledge people's value um, in, in in a way, but not like by paying them. It's more by uh, just keeping track of what they've done, of what they've contributed to this world. And then maybe if they wanted to sell their character after that, I guess they could. But it's 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 more a form of play. And again, the rewards, um, the rewards are a little bit more intrinsic than extrinsic. Their character, their work is more valuable to the community now because it was cool. It's not like they they're they're getting paid by somebody. But yeah, uh, I'm not I'm not 
so I'm not in love with Dow and, and so much of it is rug pull, whether they know it or not. And so many of these worlds end up again incentivized by the money. How do we get the value of the token to go up? And if everything that's happening on the platform is there to make money be more valuable, then that's a weird thing. You know, back to the first question, you know, in terms of, of uh, uh, our, our gods, um, we are we are burning a significant amount of the planet as our way of proving the value of Bitcoin. This is a form of worship. This is the the sacrifice. Instead of sacrificing the goat or the the crop to the gods, now we sacrifice oil to the name of Bitcoin to prove that we have faith in this. And that's a weird that's a weird thing. Thank you so much for the question. And um, going to invite the next speaker up now. It is a really weird thing. What's your name? Where are you from? And what is your question? All right. So my name is Kamil, uh, Kamil Kolman. I come from Poland, from the city called Jelenia Gura. And I've written my question on the Discord channel, but I'd like to expand it a little. So I, I thought it's going to be better to ask it out loud. So <clears throat> the question itself may be, sound silly, but it comes from a more serious uh, thinking process. So I lately realized that uh, I do a lot of retrospective thinking and I never liked any idea of being nostalgic because I think that's very exploitable by the, by the system, by the economic system mainly. Uh, but there is a lot of the, the, there's a lot we can learn from from thinking about the the past about thinking about our own history and the history of others um and so my question is because what, what uh, is the most interesting uh, to me is how people per- perceive the world in the past and if i could uh, juxtapose my uh way of 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 looking at things with with um, I don't know, my ancestors, for, for example, what would be the differences? So the question to, to you, uh, Douglas, would be um, if you could speak with somebody from the past, like if you, you could do time travel just to talk with someone, who would you like to talk to? It's weird that <laughs> this is so stupid in a way. The first person that came to mind is not a real person. It was uh, Blanche Dubois from uh, Streetcar Named Desire. I wanted to go back to her because she got so gaslit in that in that play. And I feel like people still look at Blanche Dubois as this self-indulgent, lying, you know, fake woman person, yet she's such a fucking hero, you know, a heroine, a true heroine. You know, this is and and she gets raped at the end of this at the end of the play, and then they all kind of pretend it didn't happen and send her to an insane asylum. And I want to go back in time and tell her, it's not you, it's them. You're right. You're a hero. You're the real thing. You Fuck, man. Your vision of the world is my vision of the world. Um, so yeah, I kind of want to go back to her. Um, if I could go back uh, uh, to a real historical person, I want to meet Maimonides, assuming we could break the language barrier, because... He spoke, you know, like Hebrew and Egyptian and not English. But um, Maimonides is a real interesting dude. And it's hard to know sometimes whether he was this sort of Jewish philosopher who believed that 
uh, Judaism and faith were utterly compatible with sort of Greek systems of logic. And I have too. I don't believe that religion or spirituality has to have superstition in it or weirdness. I think it's, it is uh, logical, on the ground, appropriate, ethical, and real. And if anything, I, I see Judaism as compatible with, with atheism, even. It's a, a thing. And, but, but there's sort of two camps uh, uh, of, of uh, two schools of thought on what Maimonides was saying. Was he this sort of just, you know, totally faith based guy saying all these really old school, you know, traditional and, and what I would say wrong things about God and being in charge of us and all that stuff? Or was he the kind of radically progressive pro-human autonomy and agency and constructed reality person like me and Spinoza and, 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 and Robert Anton Wilson? And I would have a feeling that he would say, oh, I was writing on two levels, you know, for people that needed to believe I wrote on that level. But then for people like you who were ready to hear what I was really saying, I wrote on this other level. And yes, um, you were right. But I want to go and, and, and find out because what if I found out he was like, oh, no, you're crazy. You know, <laughs> God's in charge of everything here. Do nothing. <laughs> you, you, didn't, you know nothing of my work. Right. Um, <laughs> so I'd kind of want to meet him and chill with him and like, get drunk with him, you know, and, and trip with him, maybe. Um, and, and just one good weekend would probably be uh, would, would fulfill the wish. But, yeah, that's who I'd go see. That's a really great question. Thanks for asking that. And <laughs> um, it's just a combination, right? Blanche Dubois and Mama, Moses Maimonides. Sorry. And let's, how about seeing them together, right? Only in the apocalypse bunker. <laughs> yes, only Truly. in the apocalypse bunker do we get these range yeah. of characters. Uh, in the meantime, I'm going to call up Content Carrier, who has the uh, magical Discord ability of hopping right on stage. Hey, if you could introduce yourself, let us know where you're from and what your question is. I'm from Antwerp, Belgium, staying on the European continent together with Camille. Um, yeah, Doug, thanks for uh, doing this. Um, my question um, goes on from uh, certain topics that have already been spoken about. Um, you know the spiritual, the uh, crediting crediting the creator, uh, which you've talked about uh, in reference to Web Web three. Um, but yeah, I think it's also a selfish question, maybe where I am asking advice, some somewhat, you know, in going through daily life. Um, it's a question about about devotion, really, like. Uh, um, devotion to life and uh, so the, quest the question is to you specifically how do you honor the the source of creation and and where is the source located for you mm. i i don't know that i honor the source as such if only i mean i guess when you say source of creation i think about it I mean, I think about it on a timeline, you know, as if there's this source back there that made this stuff, and then we're in that, we're like the effect of that cause. But I guess when you say source, it could also be the ongoing source of of creation that it doesn't necessarily didn't necessarily start before. Um, 
but the the unfolding itself and because you know when you even when when Moses is like at the burning bush and he asks God is like, what do I call you? What's your, what's your name? And God says something like, it's this weird, it's the, the tetragram thing. I am what I am becoming, you know, or I am what I am. I, I am what I'm being. Um, that, that God sort of says, I'm the unfolding. It's like God is, you know, quite literally the verb in that. And um, so I would say the way that I try to um, respect or honor the 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 source is um, to 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 surrender to Kairos, you know, to uh, to not think of things in terms of being a means to an end, but the means to the means to to drop out of cause and effect intentionality and move into everything being for its own sake, you know, to move into uh, a, a state of appreciation for the unfolding itself as it is manifesting now, 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 now. You know, it's a lot of what, what the book Present Shock was for me, was sort of getting over my own I mean, I lived this life where it was like, okay, I've got to, you know, do well on it and this, so I get an A in my course. I want to get an A's in my courses, so and and go to my SAT, so I can get into an Ivy League school. I want to get into an Ivy League school, so I can go to a medical school, or I want to go to medical school, so I can get into a good hospital, or be a great doctor, or get a book, big book published. You know, everything is. So why do I want a big book published, so I can get on the Colbert Show? Why do I want to get on the Colbert Show, so I can meet Obama? Why do I meet Obama, so I can meet the Queen? You know, it's like what get to Mars. It's like each thing, it's like if you're living in the, I, I was living in this kind of leaning forward state and I, I broke it a few times, you know, once when I was a kid, once when I was like 19, once when I was 28, there were moments in my life where I saw, um, oh, I'm still leaning forward or now I'm leaning forward again, or I'm back into doing this for that. And I understand in real life and in a real industrial culture and where we are, yeah, sometimes you have to work for the other thing, but once you're working, for the other thing, I think it's incumbent upon us to find a way to see that work as the thing. Yes, I'm working for that thing, but I'm working to work, right? You don't, you don't meditate. You don't sit for something. You don't play to win. You play to keep the game going. You play to be in a state of flow. And um, so that, for me, moving into flow states, moving into that that sense of appreciation um, for whatever I'm enacting at that moment is the, uh, and it may sound selfish also, but I don't mean it that way. Um, it's the way I think to, to move into a harmonious dance with the universe, which doesn't mean being self-indulgent. You can be in the harmonious dance with the universe while you're feeding refugees in Bangladesh. I mean, it, 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 it's not, it's not about, uh, um, uh, ignoring, uh, the reality of pain and suffering and need around you, but meeting those needs then as you're meeting those needs, you're meeting those needs. Um, so it's, it's for me, it's that, and I've never been really good at like separate prayer or separate ritual, you know, and, and even sigil magic. I try not to do sigils for things so much, you know, but sigil for sigil sigil as a way of, okay, I am, 
about to embark on a particular project help me um, fully manifest, you know, and the sigil is more of an opening for myself to manifest the project that I'm doing, not a secret ritual to make the project really work. You know, it's not, it's not to get this other thing from it, but to, uh, uh, to do it, to actually enact it. So I guess that's, uh, my roundabout way of saying I, 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 I do it by kind of not doing it or I do it by um, just maintaining that sense of, of uh, awareness and appreciation for the opportunity to be doing the very thing that I'm doing. Awesome. All right. So we're going to go to one or two questions that were uh, written into us. And uh, Barclay McClay from Melbourne, Australia writes, there's many things I would love to pick your brain on. I know you love that phrase, Douglas, Um, Uh but I'm going to throw in a fun question for laughs that you can tack on to the end. And so we're close to the end. So I know you're on Team Human, but who or what is your favorite TV or movie alien? My favorite TV or movie alien? Um, I mean, I like much of the world did fall in love with Grogu, um, baby Yoda. I mean, but what's an alien really? I guess just non, a non-human, right? Cause he's not alien. Right. Extraterrestrial. Right. Um, not, um, growing up my, um, my favorite alien. Well, I loved robot from lost in space and I know robots, not an alien, but, um, and most of the aliens on Lost in Space, there was one named Athena that Dr. Smith fell in love with, this this green woman who could float around in space with no spacesuit. Mm-hmm. Um, I was into her. But I mean, if I'm going to be honest, I'm very lowbrow, right? I mean, I already gave it away with Beavis and Butthead that I'm lowbrow. <laughs> I liked Quisp. Quisp was this character who had a serial uh, There was a Quaker Brothers serial called Quisp. And there was another one called Quake, which was this like uh, minor or something. But Quisp was this pink alien with a propeller head and um i liked quisp so i guess he was my he was my favorite alien growing up yeah i'm looking at quisp Lowbrow. <laughs> yeah very, <laughs> very sketch like um so kim from switzerland asks uh the archetypal quote i'll use this device to destroy the universe quote brand of villain no longer seems as silly and thoughtless as it once did to me such plans once seemed laughably one-dimensional and absurdly cruel but they now come across as palliative escape hatches from worlds and systems that have become too convoluted too complex and too illegible is this a bad thing because it sure does seem like the first step on an inadvertent path to fascism you know, well, the interesting thing is, I mean, my daughter's rushing out tonight to see um, the the Minions movie, and that guy who was the supervillain, Gru or whatever, yeah, he's like a little minion. He's a teeny little thing in the new movie. I mean, I missed some of these. I didn't realize he got little, and he's good. He's one of them. Um, that was that's. I mean, that's encouraging. Um, <laughs> I think it's about his upbringing. I think it's a prequel. Oh, I think it's the rise of uh, Gru. <laughs> oh, no. Well, maybe. But he starts out, maybe he's, he'll get good. But he does have some sympathy. I mean, he kidnaps those children or adopts them, and he's mean. But he's also got, there's a little heart in there. He's not quite evil. I mean, the thing about the 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 push-button evil, you know, the the 
Dr. No or whoever, or in the Marvel movie, the one who can push a button and what do they kill half the population of the Thanos, universe? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's very much like many of the tech bros I've spoken to <laughs> that they see <laughs> as their path towards human liberation, you know, is, is they're going to use their blockchain winnings to build, you know, some solution that involves half the world going away or that they sacrifice the 8 billion now for the 20 trillion that will be in the rest of the universe later. And the, the, the return of that kind of thinking I see as the, the it's the technocratic mindset rising um, in the wake of seeming chaos, that they they really believe that they have they can somehow reboot humanity or uh, find a stack, you know, and the implementation of that stack, that pushing that button and starting that thing, you know, that's the um, that's the moment of of uh, uh, healing the earth that really involves. Um, a dispassionate and sociopathic um, destruction. You know, there's a section in, in my new book where I've got these two um, kind of social media people watching the January 6th riots, a real conversation. And one of them is saying, um, if you could push a button, you know, and make all these kind of MAGA people go away, would you do it? And the other guy's like, well, sure, push a button and they just go away, you know, and it's like that old, you know, if you could push a button and someone in China dies, but you get a billion dollars, would you do it? You know, and it's like, no, that person in China is you. The MAGA people are you. It's just one thing. So the, the, these villains, even if they're bad guys, and even if James Bond or Grogu or whoever fights against those bad guys, um, those bad guys, the antagonists represent a longing in the audience you know yeah we might want to exercise it by having the good guy kill it but it's also something we're longing for we want to be walter white or whatever his name was selling crack to people you know we (laughs) we we want it um and and i think we have to we have to look at that and and you know not be afraid of it so that we can move past it and and see how there is no um there is no solution like that there there there's none you know that that if it's not mustering your compassion if it's not mustering your your empathy and connection and rapport and solidarity with other people then it's it's the wrong path cold cold not warmer colder colder um, and the need to see those movies, you know, um, it's, it's kind of immature at this point. That's not, if we still need to exercise that as adults in a world facing what it's facing, um, then, then, then we're in a sorry state. So that's why I'm trying in my own fiction. I'm going to see if I can do it. How do we move towards more solar punk, post-apocalyptic, positive, uh, positive pro-human futures and how do we create, you know, conflict and obstacle and even personify our conflicts and obstacles without these, these, you know, very primitive, uh, 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 over-polarized uh, embodiments of, of shadow. Dang. <laughs> it was a great, great conclusion. To this. <laughs> this is a nice hour. That was yeah. fun. This is fun to do. Yeah, it's better with other people, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, this was wow. great. And I mean, um, some really, really nice questions too. Um, yeah. Yeah. And thoughts and, and more. And we'll, I'll get better at this. I should do shorter answers so that we can have more, uh, more engagement and back and forth. We'll try all different styles of, 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 of speaking or sometimes I'll come in with a topic and try to throw it out and see what happens. Yeah. And but, we'll, but yay, we'll try to do this yeah. every few weeks and sometimes they will be more random like this. And sometimes they will be more theme based as Douglas said, but thank you all for being here. Yeah. Thanks for coming. It's, it's really a, a privilege and an honor to have, to have you all here and, and you at home listening as well. Thank you. And we will, um, we'll do this again and, and more and better. So you've been in our first team human uh, kibitz room uh, salon from the great underground apocalypse bunker hidden on Discord. And uh, uh, welcome back. Come back uh, next month. We will do this again. Okay. Love you guys. And thank you for being on Team Human and our experiment in finding the others. Team Human is produced by Joshua Chaplin and edited by Luke Robert Mason. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.